Welcome to This AmeriCorps Life, the official Arizona Serve podcast by AmeriCorps members for AmeriCorps members, past, present, and future. And here is your host, Sarah Haber. So welcome everyone to another episode of This AmeriCorps Life. We are here on Zoom again. I am your host, Sarah Haber. Um, Today we have a very special episode planned and we're going to do some things a little differently today. Today I have actually asked one of our community schools members, Chelsea Forer, to join us and we are going to be kind of co-hosting chatting with Louise Peroles of Changemaker High School. Louise was one of our guest speakers for our last guest speaker series on the school to prison pipeline. And this was a really, really neat guest speaker series training. And a lot of our members, Chelsea in particular, I think felt very moved and very inspired with what you know he shared in that training. And so that's why I asked Chelsea to, to join us today. Well, thank you for having me, Sarah. And yeah, I I just want to add that I actually did a training with my school staff. So I'm a community schools member um, at Palo Verde High School. And I did a training with my staff the very next day after we did this guest speaker series and actually immediately and very naturally brought in one of the anecdotes that Louise had shared during the guest speaker series into that training. There wasn't a single thing that you said, Luis, that was not mind-blowing to me <laughs> and that I, I am, didn't immediately resonate with. And I was, I'm, I've, I've been trying to think about how to characterize this conversation and how it can be of value to all of our members. And I, the thing that keeps sticking out to me is I feel like it's liquid gold, the idea of being able to talk to you and someone with all of this experience and such a brilliant perspective on it. Um, I just think it's so unique and and we're so lucky to have you. So so thank you for joining us. No, most definitely. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you, Sarah, for the invite. I'm just super honored to be able to share whatever I can. Like I said, the experience and, and everything that I've been through, you know, from my personal life to academics, I put it all together to give back. And that's been one of the biggest pieces that defines my kind of just who I am, right? And what I do. So I'm just totally honored and I'm excited uh, to be able to share today, you know, whatever, whatever we can, right? So, you know, uh, be it the talk or be it beyond the talk, I'm open. So fair game and open book today. So let's, uh, let's get this going. All right. So Louise, can you just kind of start off by giving us a little bit of some background information on who you are and, you know, where you are today and, you know, a little bit on your journey kind of getting to where it is that you are today? My origins come from, from Texas. So I'm a, I'm a South Texas boy. So I grew up in the Rio Grande Valley of South Texas. Uh, I grew up in a, uh, a small colonia along the U.S.-Mexico border called uh, Olmito. So Olmito, Texas is my hometown. I was born in Brownsville, Texas, which is the, the town that's at the southernmost tip of Texas. And then my family actually decided to move out to the country. So, uh, you know, to get to the outskirts. Now, that whole area is, is known for being an agricultural base. So everything that I learned, everything that kind of was my upbringing was, you know, growing up around just blue collar workers, agricultural workers, and individuals that are kind of in that in-between edge space. So, you know, I spent the first 18 years of my life, you know, in, in that environment. And, uh, and it, was, it was amazing, right? Now that I look back, you know, I, I wish I would have paid more attention and I would have listened more to the folks that were there and, and some of my elders. But nonetheless, it is definitely what shapes, you know, everything that, that has kind of presented itself. Uh, it's been shaped by that experience of growing up in this kind of rural, blended, blurred, cross-cultural, you know, binational space, right? Um, I came out to Tucson in 1999 to pursue a college education. But to really be honest, I was, uh, I was following a girl. Uh, and so... Um, you know, I laugh about it, but now that girl is my wife. Uh, she's now Dr. Valencia. Uh, we now have three uh, children together. And, uh, and so I think I made the right choice, right? Um, you know, leaving home, being two states away, 17 hours from home. Um, I came out and I, uh, I came to the University of Arizona. And so my original thought was, uh, was to go into, you know, the medical and public health field and uh, to look at giving back through that lens as a kid. I was, uh, I was rather sick. So um, growing up in that, in that agricultural space, there's a lot of pesticides and environmental issues. 
And uh, I was, you know, my family were, you know, some of the families that were impacted. So, you know, right now everybody's talking about respiratory issues and things of that. That's been like forever back home because of the pesticides uh, going on. And so to this day, I still, you know, kind of battle that uh, on a daily basis. Fast forward coming out to Tucson, I was just mind blown when I came out here because the community that's here that is so engaged, that is like so into giving back. Uh, I mean, the roots of the sanctuary movement are here in Tucson. You know, the, the roots of, of, uh, of civil rights struggle, uh, Chicano movement uh, work, you know, women's liberation movement work, uh, the LGBTQ movements that, that also have had a strong hold here in Tucson. They were basically the backdrop to my young adult life. And so uh, I pursued uh, degrees in cultural studies and public health and, uh, and decided that that was going to be my, my claim to fame. I was going to make a difference in those spaces and give back to young people specifically. So at the age of 19, uh, when I moved out here, I came to the university, but I also took an internship uh, with, uh, with a work-study program at Chicanos por la Causa. And so I was a youth programs intern, and I was thrown right into the middle of getting involved in community work, like just amazing mentors from uh, Lorraine Lee to, uh, to Richard Elias to you know, Raul Aguirre, the Grijalvas, like all of these folks that were in town, uh, you know, Salamol Baldenegro, I mean, you name it, La Maestra Raquel Rubio Goldsmith. I'll miss people if I start mentioning more. So I just stopped there, but just amazing people. And for me, it became this idea of what can I do to give back in a place that may not be my home, but it's definitely a place that reminded me of home, close to the border, having this binational reality, right? Being impacted by all these different issues uh, and, and kind of facing head on the disparities that we see in these communities, right? And so uh, for me, I lived around the college uh, campus, the university campus, and then decided to move to the south side of town. So I've been living in the south side of Tucson uh, since 2002. So to 2002, I've made the south side my home. I, you know, it's where my kids are, where you know, my, my son, my eldest was born in my home. Uh, here in the South Side, my wife and I had him as a home birth. And so it's really been about kind of piecing all these things together. Now, something else I, I got involved in was community organizing. So I was a community organizer early on, working with different organizations and starting different youth organizing groups, uh, working in the city of South Tucson uh, with a program called uh, the uh, STPC program. We started uh, an organization called Maya which was a group of youth organizers and young, young uh, men and women who were looking at kind of improving conditions in their, in their community. And then we started an organization called TYLO that still exists to this day. I've handed that over because uh, that was always the point was to start things and hand them over to the individuals who live here in this community. And so, you know, I'm really proud to say that that's been the, uh, the backdrop. Now, my professional side, my academic side, I've been going to you know, through grad school and getting advanced degrees and, you know, doing environmental work and permaculture certifications. But I really planted myself in the education space because I really thought that that was a battleground. That was a space where we really could make a difference in the lives of young people and really change the, the social and material realities for families. So in short, it's, it's really everything I was taught when I was a kid about building community and working with people, I've put into practice now that I've been through the university space and, and now that I'm a professional and I'm the CEO of uh, ITE and Changemaker and launching now the, the K-20 campus, right? The kindergarten to PhD program, the first one in the country. Again, it's about being innovative, creative. And the whole thing is like, you know, some of our brightest minds are in the communities that are impacted the most. And those individuals have some of the best ideas. So for me, it's like, well, I need to step up. If that's what I believe, then that's what I need to be. I need to be that person and that example so that people can follow, you know, have an exemplar to look up to or, or to just stand next to me and just do the work, right? I, I, I really want to try to flatten this idea of hierarchies and work with individuals, just build individuals to say, you too can come up with amazing ideas and concepts. And we should be looking at how do we bridge the gaps? How do we close gaps, right? Opportunity gaps, most specifically. So that everybody has a chance to put their best ideas forward and we can actually come up with a better idea of what society should look like instead of just accepting what's in place now. Thank you for sharing all of that. That is, a, I think that, you know, your journey and, you know, where you kind of ended up where you are now is just, it's so interesting and so fascinating. And thank you for, for sharing all of that. I think 
something that I want to quickly mention that's kind of unique about our partnership, Arizona Serve and Changemaker. Uh, for those who don't know, our Arizona Serve office is located in the building of Changemaker High School. So we've had a really nice partnership with the school, and we have been able to kind of witness firsthand a lot of those really innovating things that you have just kind of brought up now. So yeah, Chelsea, if you want to take a moment to kind of quickly give a little bit of some more information to our listeners on what our guest speaker series is, I think that would be great. Yeah, definitely. So the partnership, like you mentioned, Sarah, between Prescott College and Arizona Serve that's housed on the Changemaker campus puts on this wonderful guest speaker series on a monthly basis. Um, and we've had we've had a couple really cool conversations where, where we're bringing in these community leaders and putting them on a panel, um, actually sitting them in this really cool, chic little couch that looks like a little SNL uh, conversation skit <laughs> um, and having them talk about big topics. So we did one on homelessness here in Tucson and then the one that Luis participated in was about um, the school-to-prison pipeline. So they're really an urgent topics to be talking about. And what I find so valuable about it is to be talking to individuals who are leading the charge. Um, and like Luis, like you mentioned, here in Tucson, something that I grew up here, I wasn't born here, but I was raised here. And I, as I went through college and got more involved, the thing that was so striking to me was the level of community engagement in this town. And that I think really comes out and is highlighted by the guest speaker series. Um, I think it's a really valuable thing. And again, something I've shared with my staff at the school that I'm serving in as well. So it goes beyond Arizona Serve. Yeah, it's been, truly been a pleasure to, to see the unfolding of this partnership and to see the speaker series, right? This is what um, the campus was always intended to, to be, right? A space where people could gather, we can have these critical conversations and really highlighting the folks who are really doing the work, right? And I think that's really important of what Arizona Service is doing is really putting a spotlight on those folks who are focused in on impact, right? A lot of times we, you know, you flick on the news or you go through your, you know, your social media feed and everything we're getting is from somewhere else, right? And to see these amazing folks who have done so much work here in Tucson and to see them on the campus, right? To see them having the, the space to, to share what they've been, uh, you know, what they've done. I've had the pleasure of, of not just participating, but also attending. And so just to hear folks, you know, I, I, you know from folks who are up uh, working with Native issues, for example, I remember uh, Winona Benali giving a, a talk about, you know, what's going on in Indian country and, and just amazing folks that are really focused in. So kudos to Arizona Serve for, for hosting and, and again, for, you know, using the space the way it was always intended to be used. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate you mentioning that something that we really try to bring in and sort of show to our members is the actual impact that people in our community are making. And so, you know, kind of with that, Louise, I was curious as to what were you hoping our members took away from that guest speaker series and how can they kind of move forward and continue to make impacts? So for me, every time that I'm, I'm asked to speak, I, I'm really trying to help individuals understand their degrees of separation, right? We all want to help. We all want to do something. We all have the capacity to do something, right? Uh, if we look at, you know, famous MLK uh, quotes, we all have the ability to serve. And for me, it's always about those degrees of separation. Sometimes we have to you know, really engage in this process first and foremost. And what we talk about is empathy. We have to care about something. And um, for me, when I speak, I speak from a personal space. Yes, you know, the academic accolades and all of that stuff is important. And, and that's a, it's, it informs us. But really who we are at our core is our experience, right? And the experiences that we've been able to have and those that we've been able to witness, right, from other individuals. So for me, it's like, if you didn't have that experience, right, the experience that I, I specifically spoke about with respect to juxtaposing my kind of trajectory and my older brother's trajectory, right, in the school or prison pipeline, then at least I want to expose people to that. I want you to know that that exists and that there are, in many ways, you know, all of these benefits from seeking out the diamonds in the rough, right, that we ourselves are diamonds in the rough, that we have to, you know, I, I said something that 
made me really uncomfortable in the talk, but I, I felt like I needed to say it. I was like, y'all, I'm going to say I'm a genius, right? I'm, I'm going to put that on. I'm going to put that hat on and not in, a, in a, an arrogant fashion, but saying like, we're all geniuses in our own right. We all have the right to be that. And we should be okay with that in our space where we're going to plant our flag and do our work and have our impact. Like, yeah, the community needs you to be a genius. They need, you know, that's what's needed and nothing lower than that. So for me, the, the service members, it's, it's like really recognizing that those degrees of separation and those, those experiences are critical to then informing how we're going to move forward, right? How each and every one of us can then have that empathy as a backdrop and as a driver to make us do what we're going to do, right? There has to be a purpose, right? And a lot of times, and we've heard that, right? You know, everybody talking about, you know, passion over purpose or purpose over passion or, or, or things of those nature, right? So it's just like, we have to get beyond like kind of inspirational quotes. We have to get to like, what have you experienced? And if you haven't experienced it, then go out and experience it. Go meet with people, go connect with people, go find out and then interrogate yourself and find out, well, you know, what are my biases or my privileges or, or, you know, what areas do I need to work on? What skills do I need to develop? Who are individuals that I should count on? Who do you trust, right? There's so many people who say, I don't care, right? There's so many people who you say, well, who do you trust? They say, no one. It's like, wow, that's sad. <laughs> so for me, it's like, it's really saying like, search out that in us and have those conversations that sometimes are the most uncomfortable, you know, and it starts with having a, a conversation with ourselves and then going out from there for a long time, you know, I was in the university space and I was encouraged, you know, I felt like I couldn't share these things about myself. I couldn't talk about my, my brother's addiction. I couldn't talk about, you know, my troubled, you know, youth and, and childhood and things of that nature, you know, because it was uh, think of like a like shame, right? There was this, all, and it's like, well, we have to get beyond that. We have to lead by example, as I said earlier, right? So for me, it's about putting myself out there so that it can give other people the courage so they can put themselves out there in whatever way that is appropriate for them. So for me, those are the biggest takeaways. And it starts there because then from there, a fire can be lit that's going to then generate energy and potential. But if we don't have these conversations and we're not honest and we stay safe in the conversations that we're having, then we don't move the conversation forward. And worse, we don't have any action that comes from it. For me, hearing Chelsea for her to say that yeah, I took this and I did a prison and I was out and I you know, right away, like, that's it. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I would, that's the, that's, it. I mean, if you're asking me like, what did you want to see happen? Ask Chelsea. That's exactly what I wanted to see happen. Right. I wanted people to not just, you know, passively take this information, but take this and then run with it and go and do what you have to do. Because if we all do that, then we'll start to see change. That's the ripple effect, that butterfly effect that we all have to be a part of. And what a great transition because my next question was going to be to Chelsea, you know, as a member, what were your takeaways from this guest speaker series? And I know that you kind of have already started talking about in the beginning, immediately what you did right afterwards, you know, circling back at Palo Verde where you, where you currently serve. Yeah, I, in preparation for this podcast, I have a list next to me. I'm a note taker and I have all of these takeaways. And as you talk and like writing more and more down, <laughs> so it's overwhelming to think about like, what are the major takeaways, but the ones that struck me and like the, the words that really get me going um, at the very beginning of the talk, you talked about being a disruptor and being a disruptor in the educational space. Um, and this was not something that I had ever heard in those words. I hadn't used that phrase, but I've seen them and I've seen disruptors in different spaces. So when I was a student, when I was working with peers, but when I also was working with teachers and watching them do their work. And I really do believe that it's in that, in that space that magic happens. But the challenge that I see is people are afraid to disrupt. They really are terrified to disrupt. And inaction, again, like you said, inaction is the thing that makes me cringe the most. Um, we have a meeting and nothing happens. We have a, you know, we get together as a group and we don't make plans to meet again, things like that. And I guess, so going off of that, I guess my question for you, Luis, is where did you craft that idea of disruptor and how has that been a like piece of your journey. Thank you for bringing that up. 
Chelsea, because like that's definitely part of my identity, right? I mean, there's different names for it, right? Sometimes we're called troublemakers, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, they're called worse. But at the end of the day, if we look at who have made change, right? If we go back into history, when we look at, you know, who has made change, those and those were disruptors. They were disruptors of the status quo. They were not satisfied with how things were set up or are set up. And they always thought about, you know, they were dreamers, they were, they, they imagined they were innovators, it's all these different terminologies that are used. So for me, again, it goes back to combination of all those experiences that I've had, seeing these individuals that were those disruptors, and they would get flat for it, they would get heat, like heavy heat for it, and they would not give, like they would keep pushing forward, and they wouldn't fold. And I was like, wow, that amazed me growing up, right? Seeing, you know, people in my community that for all intents and purposes shouldn't have been successful or shouldn't have made it or shouldn't have anything. And, you know, seeing people in, in the college space who were also, you know, professors or other students or adjuncts who were like really pushing, really getting us to think. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. It was, it's kind of infectious is the way I see it. You, you become a disruptor because you allow yourself to be infected by somebody else's disruption, right? So there's plenty of folks that I saw that were like, wow. That, that's amazing that they would even be willing, that they would have, you know, the, the guts to speak up or to say something or do something. I mean, and you'd see it in all stripes. So it's one of those things that for me is like a universal, right? In society today, things are so polarized, but growing up, it was really looking at like, you know, good people are good people. And, just, and folks who are, are doing good work, like they should be honored, they should be respected, and you should pay attention. Right. So for me, that's been the driver. That's, that's where I've sought out these individuals. And sometimes it's been, you know, I, I couldn't meet them firsthand. So then I learned about them. I researched them. I looked to see. And it wasn't just people I agreed with either. That was, that's the key point here, that there's disruptors of all, of all stripes. And there's some folks that have disrupted that I completely disagree with. And I do not accept any of what they're saying, but their methods and the way that they're carrying themselves and how they're able to make change. I respect that. I totally respect that. And I think that we should be doing that because that's what I feel that is my responsibility now. I may not inspire somebody to disrupt the same way that I'm choosing to disrupt, but at least they can say, well, if he can disrupt and he feels he has the right, what stops me? And so it's really about giving each other permission. And at the end, we have to give ourselves permission. So for me, it comes from that, like just witnessing individuals and witnessing, you know, just things change. And, and, and it's, like, uh, it's like watershed moments, like waiting for those watershed moments, right? So like we're living through several of those now, but I've been blessed to be able, right? I'm 40 years old to just to see that happen through my life. Like, wow, so many things have changed. So many things have pushed and I can look backwards before my 40 years and I can be like, wow, those folks did all that. So it's like, okay, my turn. I have a responsibility now. I can't just sit back and be like, well, that's just the way it is. Some folks are satisfied with that and I'm not here to belittle them, but those folks who can step up and who do like just have that motivation, I, I totally encourage it. And I'm honest with them too. This is going to get you in trouble. This could get you fired. This could get like all kinds of different things could happen, right? Like, and you have to be ready and willing to take that. But at the same time, this could also be beautiful. It could be based in love. It could be something that is going to really transform you. And, and shape you in ways that you never thought were possible. For me, that's where it comes from, Chelsea. I mean, it's almost like you're, again, that butterfly effect. Other people affected me, and now I'm choosing to affect others, right? But it has to start with caring. Again, it goes back to that empathy. I care so much about people. I care so much about justice, what's right. I care so much that I am in line with that to the best of my ability, even though I'm flawed, even though I didn't have the picture perfect, you know, saint uh, style of upbringing or whatever the case may be. And, and that also encourages me to find other folks that are out there that maybe didn't have it perfect, but they have the potential. And so that's my biggest, that, that's for me, that's, that's, that's where that comes from. Yeah. And in the guest speaker series, the way you talk about disrupting an education space is a is in a way that I would never consider disruptive in its love. And I think that's such an interesting thing that love is not something that we like to think about in the ed space. And yet when I go back and think about the most meaningful experiences I have had with educators, 
it's with those educators who have been personal with me, who have let me know more about them, who, as you said in the guest speaker series, I had high expectations of because I cared about them and they cared for me. So yeah, I just want to pick your brain more and more about that idea of love in the ed space and how significant it is and how that disrupts. And and it's crazy to me that it's a disruptor. It feels like it should be natural. But yeah, I just want to hear more about that. Yeah, so um, I had the pleasure of connecting um, with a a network of of schools called uh, the Ashoka Changemaker School Network. And uh, one of the schools that was there was based out of Dallas, Texas. They were called the Momentous Institute. And so um, I encourage folks to, to seek them out and look at, look at their work. They were, they were a program that started off with working with battered and traumatized youth. And then they evolved into, from that clinical work, into providing educational services and starting a school. And one of the things that blew my mind, you know, when I went to, to their, uh, their conference in, in, in Dallas was that they talked about, you know, the, the science of the brain right? And specifically the science of the adolescent brain. Most people, when we talk about that, the science of the adolescent brain, people want to talk about the prefrontal cortex. They want to say young people's prefrontal cortex, it isn't developed. And that's why they're irrational. And that's why they don't know how to make decisions. X, Y, Z, da, 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 down the line. They flipped the script on that in amazing ways. They said, do you know what the one thing that is that works to heal the traumatized brain? Love. That, that, from that whole conference, that was the nugget, right? Sometimes we go to these gatherings, these conferences, and it's just like, why am I here? Like, what is all this about? Oh, come on. Oh, a lot of talking heads. Great. What are we going to do, right? I'm one of those doer people. But that nugget of information was just mind-blowing to me. I was like, wow. Love is the answer, right? It's the healer. It, it can actually heal a traumatized brain. It can rewire the brain, and it can help to unleash people's potential, right? So for me, it was very clear. I'm on the right path because I had been doing that and criticized for it. People had said, you know what? You're in this space. You need to be a professional. You leave your stuff at the door. You, you, know, you don't disclose certain things about yourself. You, everything was closed off. And I said, well, this is crazy. Like I'm supposed to be a robot, but then I'm supposed to encourage young people to care. My computer doesn't care about me. Right. And I know it doesn't care about me. It's just there to do work. And so it's just like, well, that's how students are going to see me. Like, I'm just here to do work. I'm just getting a paycheck. No, this isn't my paycheck. This is my life. This is my passion. Young people have to see that. Families have to see that. Colleagues have to see that. And once you open up that space, it's really hard to close it. I think we're craving as a society, just in general, we're craving to be loved. And so for me, it's like any excuse, right? To, hey, I like how you did your hair today. Wow. I like your shirt. Your blouse looks really nice. Hey, love those kicks, right? Anything to show love. There's an example that I use when I talk to folks and I say, look, when you're working in environments where young people have been, have been through very difficult situations, think about it like this. If we've, you've ever had a puppy, right? Or a kitten, and I think I said this in the talk, and you hold on to that puppy, like you love him so much, you're holding it. You can harm that kitten or puppy and that puppy will bite you. That kitten will scratch you. That's what we see sometimes with our young people. The society has squeezed them to the point where this isn't love. And so it's like, okay, how do we now relearn how to be safe? How do we relearn to connect and in a way that isn't romantic? That's crazy because right now there's like the hypersexualization of society, right? And with young people, like, oh my God, like everything's like fair, right? And we have to respect it. I'm just like, yo. Is that love? And so asking those questions and pushing back for me is like, like I grew up and I know my mom loves me, right? I know she loves me, but she would never say, Mijo, I love you. She would do things that showed me that, I, that she loved me. And for me, I said, well, okay, let's build upon that. If it felt good, right, for her to do certain things and make an awesome meal or, you know, do a little extra something for me or whatever, then what would it feel like if you actually do start to vocalize your love? And you, should, you back it up with action. Because there's a lot of bunk people out there. And I'll be the first one, 20 years of working in the ed space. This is where I'm disruptor, get in trouble. There's some adults, some parents who are masking their inappropriate behavior with false love. They're like starving their children for that affection. And then when they mess up, they give them that affection. It's like, yo, that's not what we're talking about. 
we're talking about a nurturing, loving space. It, go, it goes back to like the Blackfoot people and Maslow's hierarchy. It talked about it. Like if you're going to actualize, like yo, love and esteem are part of that process. But if we want to pretend I can have like all these transactional type of interactions with people and things are going to work out, it's not going to happen. Right? It's just not. And so for me, it came down to like, how would I want people to treat my own children? I have three boys. I tell them that I love them every day and that I do things on a daily basis and I'm not perfect in any way, shape or form. I'm still learning. And that's part of the thing too. Like I have to forgive myself. Like, yo, I'm going to mess up. It's okay. But it has to be based in love. Can't be like, I'm going to use love to get away with stuff. I'm going to use love as a weapon. Like none of that stuff. Like authentically, unconditional, I love you. But that also means that you have to have like some really high expectations because if you set high expectations, the people will set high expectations of you. If you set some really low expectations, this is a really hard one in the ed space. There's a lot of people who come and says, oh, they have a, what they call in Spanish a pobrecito mentality. The pobrecito mentality is like, poor young person. They have such a hard life. I'm going to give them a break. They don't need a break. They need you to help them. And you're not going to help them by letting them off the hook. That's not how this works. Like, if people would have left me off the hook, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. They would have been like, oh, yeah, it's okay. Let's go ahead and do whatever you want. No, that's not what we're talking about. That's not love. That's not, if you're talking about unconditional love, it's like your mama's love. I said this in the talk as well. I'm going to tell you some things that you're not going to want to hear, but it's out of love because I love you. And we should be honest with each other. But a lot of times we cloud all of that. Hey, they're not my kids. That's somebody else's responsibility. Oh, the, the, it's parents. Parents are supposed to be teaching them. You're seeing all that right now during the social distancing time. People are going after parents like crazy. Like, no, we should be a partnership. How can I help the parent? People are like, I don't, I don't get it. I just don't get it. It doesn't resonate with me. You know, I understand the frustration of teachers and, you know, the systems are not perfect. But at the end of the day, it's like, yo, if you're doing what you love and if you're doing it with love, then there is no problem. So I think that's, that's really, really key. Because if we set that foundation as adults, then young people will follow that. But it's really hard because, again, if you're that puppy or that kitten who's been squeezed really tight, you can't expect them to love you right away. You have to build trust. And you have to get burned. You have to get scratched. You have to get gnawed on a little bit. And you have to develop that thick skin. But, again, that's all because you love the individual. And there also has to be a point where that young person, if they're not doing what they need to do, that community member, whoever, there has to be a line. We're not here to be abused either. So there, there's a fine line and we have to navigate this space, but always, always with love at the, at the forefront. And I always tell people that starts with you. You have to forgive and love yourself. First, I have forgiven myself for a lot of dumb things that I've done. And I acknowledge those things. And then I say, yo, man, I love myself. Like, I love what I do. I love who I am. I love who I've become. Like, yo, man, I'm glad, like, I'm a fine wine, yo. You know what I mean? Like, I'm aging, you know what I mean? And I'm going to take it in the best way possible so that I can actually offer that to others and give them hope and say, hey, you know, I, I get it. When a young person comes to me and says, I'm homeless. Like, yo, at 14, I left my house. I know what that feels like. I know what it is to be a young person and be hungry. I know what it is to have, you know, your family split up. I know what it is to have addiction in the family, in the household. I know what it is to not have money, to be in the cheese line. I know all those things, but instead of looking down on myself, I look at those things as strength and I look at them as opportunities where people were showing love. If you walk around looking at everything through a negative lens, you will only see darkness. And what we need to do is we need to see light and we have to spot it with love. It's like, that's our telescope. We got to be looking out for folks and just be like, wow, that Nana, that whoever, like there's some people who talk smack about like right now. Everybody's going eight bonkers over people who have resources, right? Like, oh, those millionaires got this tax cut. Like, yo, I imagine some of those people are good people, right? But if we, if we frame them in, in, as evil villains, then that's what they're going to be. It's like, nah, man, I'm going to show love. And let's see. And again, I'm not going to be abused because if they're not showing love back, then we know where they stand. But if you put love first, then people will show you who they are. And then you can act accordingly. It doesn't mean you need to attack them, but at least you can avoid some circumstances that you didn't want to get into to begin with. And with young people, we have to give them a little bit more space because they're learning. That prefrontal cortex is underdeveloped and we have to give them love so that we rewire the brain in all the best of ways. Well, and showing love takes 
so much vulnerability and it takes vulnerability in yourself, like to be willing to share it and then also be willing to receive it from other people. Um, I was on this amazing webinar with Character Strong and they were featuring Aaron Jones, who is a public educator and figure in the education system up in the Pacific Northwest. And she, all her work is on equity in the classroom. And she, and they were talking about the value of bringing yourself as an educator into the space, knowing what you come into that space with. And when you ask your students to share things, you have to be able to share your own things. I mean, how can you expect a student to be vulnerable with you and provide you things to your high expectations if you don't have a high expectations of yourself and you're willing to share that same thing? Um, and I just, I find that so, so moving. And, and I, I see, and, and here's another question, and you probably have so, you have so much more experience with it being an educator in the classroom, but I see teachers and people in general in all fields struggling with crossing that line, being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to show love and take that extra step that they're hoping other people will take first. And so how, how do we cultivate that in the ed space? Because it's happening in little pockets. It's happening in these magical places. People are talking about it. I feel like the conversation is really growing, but it, it's missing more largely. And, and how do you think we move forward? I'm going to take something out of my academic background, right? So in the social sciences, we talk about positionality. So back in the day, it used to be that, you know, everybody had to be objective. You're putting on a white coat, your ethnographer, you're looking from a distance. Everything's like, you know, you're taking notes, you're, you're analyzing situations and you're not a subject in this process. And that's where like objective and subjective, right? That idea of being subjective is that you're a subject. It's like, well, you can't be a subject and then be like, you can't really see things if you're in it. And I think that's the, that's the difficulty with folks in the ed space, right? That folks are trying to stay safe and trying to say, well, we need to be, you name it, apolitical, we need to be objective, but we know, and the research is very clear, that that's not what happened. People's subjectivity is coming out, but it's coming out in the worst of ways, right? And so I think to cross that line is to have an intimate conversation with the community you're working with. And to have an intimate conversation means that you first listen. So this is where, again, my academic training and, and my personal kind of seeking out of individuals who did this at a very high level. Paulo Freire, right, is an exemplar of an individual and a scholar and an philo educational philosopher who did the best. His idea of popular and political education was one where you go into a community and you listen and you, get, you gather information that is critical to understanding how to connect. And what ends up happening, and this is something that we have happened in the ed space, it used to be that educators lived in the community where they taught. That is not the case anymore. We have, everybody wants to talk about helicopter parenting. We have helicopter educators. They helicopter into a community, they do their thing, and then they're out. That causes a disconnect. And I'm not saying that it cannot be done, but you have to spend time in those communities with those young people. I go to the grocery store and I see my kids. Hey, mister. You know, I see the, my former kids. I see them with their kids. I see the families. They see me with my family. And I do that intentionally. A lot of, a lot of young people are like, Mr., you, Dr. Valencia, you really, how come you don't go live in the hills? I'm like, because I don't know anybody there. I know you and I like you. You're cool. I want to be here. Is that cool? They're like, yeah, that's cool. Like, All right, awesome. Right? But we, you have to start there. Like, I want to be here. I want to be around you. I hope you want to be around me. And then we start just by living. I think most people want to talk. And talk is cheap, right? We've heard that. Talk is cheap. Young people are watching you. Do you live where I live? You know, do you engage in the places? Do you engage in the things that I engage in? You know, do you value the things that I value? If not, then they're going to call you out. You know, so to cross that line means that we have to spend quality time. And that does not mean just during our 8.30 to 4.30 hours of being an educator. Like, do you go to the movies where your kids go to the movies? Do you go to the same supermarket? Do you fill in the blank? 
I'm at a soccer tournament with my boys and I see other kids there with their little brothers and their mom and dad and just like, hey, mister, I didn't know that. Yeah, right? Like that brings you closer so that when you then are going to have those critical conversations in the classroom, they can be had because there's a level of trust to say, you aren't just a person who comes in, helicopters and leaves. You're actually a person who's in our community and then you become an asset where it's looking like, like your neighbors, right? Like my neighbors can come knock on my door and I'm going to help them, right? I'm going to find a way. They can give me a call and they do and I help them. Can your kids do the same? Can your colleagues do the same? And so I think that's the key is like, it's about living rather than just expressing. We want to open up. And I think this is where people make a mistake. They open up and then they unload all of their stuff on kids. That's not fair. This isn't a therapy session. Yes, you can open up. You can show love. You can share things about yourself. But you have to do it in a way that's in context, that helps to build connections and helps to actually inspire young people to speak up. It isn't just about, I'm going to unload my drama on you so you can know who I really am. That's not going to help anybody. You have, to, you have to craft moments that are authentic. I'll share one ex- experience. We had a, a talking circle in one of the classes that I teach. And we had one young lady who was the last person to speak in the talking circle. It went all the way around. She was sitting right next to me, right? Last person to speak. And we had, a, we had several guests come in from Prescott College who were kind of visiting classes and being part of our, our, uh, our day. And one of the folks asked her, like, you know, how is it that, you know, the, the staff here shows love? That was the question that was asked. And everybody shared different things. And the student who was sitting next to me said, I was almost out of school. I was almost going to leave. And there was this one day where really bad stuff happened in my life. And Mr. P took the time to say, number one, that I mattered. Number two, that he was there for me. Number three, that he loved me and that he was there to do whatever he could for me. And I knew he couldn't change what had happened. And she said, but that was enough to show me that he cared. How many times in these large systems do we see that that young person, nobody would have discussed anything with them. Just would have ignored them. So it's about connecting, paying attention. It's about watching your kids and saying, today's not a good day for you. and I'm going to connect. And I'm not going to come down on you just because you didn't get your homework in. There's something going on and I need to get to the root of that. And getting to the root of that means you have to trust me. And the only way you trust me is if I'm a member of your community. And if I'm not spending time in that community, then I'm not a member and you can't connect. You shared this wonderful story at the guest speaker series that I think embodies this idea of living in the community and what it means to students. You shared how it had it was like stormy out all day and, and it, you had thought it was going to start to rain and it was the end of the day and, and you had left the school at the end of your workday and saw one of your students walking down the street. And rather than, you know, pass him by and go, oh, I hope he gets home safe, you took that additional step and pulled over and said, hey, let me drive you home. Because in, in, in all of your processing, you went, if I let him walk home and it starts to rain, he's going to get sick and he's not going to come to school for a couple of days. And we all know that a couple of days off puts, you know, a young person really behind, especially in ma- the math and sciences. <laughs> and, and that to me was just, again, just an embodiment of things that are just like back to basics. Don't let a kid walk home in the rain right? Like just drive him home and it's okay. I'm his teacher. And again, like you said, there's, that's a loving relationship, but it's not inappropriate. Um, it's caring and it's responsible and you're, you're taking care of him so that he can show up the next day and, and get an education, which we know is so important. Um, so I just wanted to share that because you had shared it. That. That was a great yeah. Story. I mean, and I think there's some, so a lot of people are just risk averse, right? Um, to take that risk and to say, well, I'm going to, and my whole thing is I, I understand, you know, there's, there's rules. Some, some people may be hearing this saying, you know what, well, that's not allowed in my district or that's not allowed in my school or whatever the case may be. Sometimes we bend. We don't have to break. I'm not giving kids rides willy nilly, you know, but it's just like, there's somebody in need. That's just basic, right? Just like you said, Chelsea, that's just basic. Somebody else would have left them just, you know, that mean teacher who would actually just pass them by. It would be, it's like that, you know, that, that uh, cliche kind of clip where 
you know, in that movie where the car drives by and the water splashes on the people, right? It's, it's, it's the same thing, right? It's just like, they didn't see you. You just drive off and it's raining. You basically told them, I don't care about you. And I told, I told that student specifically, like, I don't want you to get sick and I want you to be at school. So we take you home. And so I know some people get freaked out because, oh, I can't take that risk. I get it. But it's just like, we just need to take care of kids. We need to take care of each other. I've done the same thing with staff. I've gotten a call. I was like, what can I do? And I'll do, I'll, if I can, I will help, right? Why? Because if I were in the same situation, I would want somebody to help me. This has been really, really great hearing both of you reflect on the guest speaker series and just, you know, your, both of your work in general. Chelsea, you are a rock star for helping to facilitate this conversation today. Do either one of you have any last kind of closing thoughts before we kind of wrap it up for the day? Well, I want to kind of put a final question out there and and it can be quick. Um, I don't believe, and I've I've been trained as an organizer and I don't believe any, we should leave anything without having an action step or a call to action. So I'm curious how those of us who are members in schools or in organizations, I mean, we don't even have to be in an ed space where we're working in a classroom. It can be with youth in, in so many other spaces. So what is like one big thing we can do to cultivate it, not only with youth, but I think as teams of adults, as professionals, how do we cultivate the culture of caring in this way? Because that's, that's the thing, right? There's an action on so many levels. And, and how do we give it to our coworker? How do we inspire it in our coworker? I'll go back to that, that famous uh, saying, right? You, you're able to catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, right? And so we have to recommit. These are moments where we get to recommit ourselves. And sometimes we'll get burnt out or we'll, you know, again, we'll see that non-ideal situation or individual. And it's recommitting. You have to take the high road. Even if people, I remember people telling me, why do you do that? You make us look bad. You're working too hard. And it looks like we're not doing anything. I love what I do. You know, and I want you to love what you do. And if you don't love what you do, then please find the thing that you love to do, right? And it's out of love. I'm not telling you get out of here. I'm telling you step up, bro, because we need you. And I think that's what the one thing, like that recommitment and telling people, I'm recommitting to this. If you take that stance, that's an action. There will be a ripple effect. There's moments where I've done that in my career where I said, I'm going to do this. Who's with me? And people would stand up and be like, I'll do it. Like, well, awesome. I thought it was going to be nobody. And it's finding those people. Find your tribe and be patient. Be patient with yourself and be patient with them. I mean, I, I go back to like, you know, the words of, of, of like Malcolm, right? Malcolm X, where he talks about like, you can't judge other people because of what you know, because at one point you were at the point that they were at. So it's not appropriate. I can't be like, well, you're supposed to be doing more, blah, blah, blah. I can set expectations, but I have to, I have to set the example. You find your tribe, you set the expectation. You make it very clear and you live up to it. And when you mess up, because you will mess up, own it, keep going. That's the actionable piece. Has to connect with yourself first, look internally, and then go out from there. People will follow an example. They will not follow words. That's the way it works. The only reason I feel confident in what I do and practice is not because I'm such an amazing person, but because I've seen other amazing people do what I do. And I've borrowed from them with permission to do this work. And now we're in a space where anything's possible. You can connect. Look at how we're connecting now, right? This is beautiful. It's amazing. Even though it's only possible if we commit to this. And I think that's the piece. Really asking ourselves, being self-aware, and asking other people to be self-aware. What do you really want? Is this the place? And I think Arizona Serve does that beautifully. It puts people in situations where it's like, do you really want to work in schools? Do you really want to work with young people? Do you really want to serve others? So sometimes, you know, I'm hearing the talks in the office and people are like, well, that service member, you know, I have to ask this or that or happen. There's a correction plan, this and that. It's like, yes, there is. There's going to have to be. Why? Because not everybody's cut out for this. And that's okay. They may be cut out for something else that we're not cut out for. So I think that's the piece. We have to find our tribe. We have to be patient. We have to stop preaching to the choir. 
We have to reach out. It, it's uncomfortable, but it's what we need to do if we really want to move ourselves forward and start being action-oriented. Instead of just talking to each other, patting ourselves on the back, and hoping something's going to change. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you both once again. This has been this has been awesome. I mean, both of you have made my job so easy today. I mean, you really just both of you kind of took everything and ran with it and hearing both of you speak, I am just like so inspired right here to 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 really think about my own work and the work that I do, you know, with Arizona Serve and you know, within our community and how we can, you know, really put ourselves out there and, you know, become more vulnerable and, and really make an impact. Thank you all then for listening today. And really quick, Mr. P, could you provide us with some of your contact information? Yes, most definitely. Uh, if you want to come visit us when the time is appropriate, you can come to the K-20 Changemaker Campus. We're at 1300 South Belvedere Avenue here in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, so please come visit us when that time comes. We will have that time again. Uh, so please visit us there. You can definitely go to our website, www.changemakerhighschool.org to learn more about the school and our staff and what we're doing. You can also connect with us at our K-20 site. So www.k20tucson.org. And that's for the larger uh, initiative of the connection between Mexicana Academy, Changemaker High School, Prescott College, and including Arizona Serve uh, in that Prescott College piece. And, uh, and if you want to reach out to me, you can reach me at the office, 520-615-2200. Please give a call there. Uh, my front office staff will direct you to get messages to me so that uh, I can answer any questions, connect. You know, I'd love to continue these conversations and help out in any way uh, that I can. Thank you so much, Sarah, for this opportunity. And, and Chelsea, thank you so much for being an awesome interviewer. Good job. Well, thank you so much for letting me uh, try it out. <laughs> and thank you, Sarah, for inviting me and just letting me be a part of these conversations. This is, this is what makes uh, time meaningful. So thank you. And thank you all for listening. Bye. You've been listening to This AmeriCorps Life, produced by Arizona Serve of Prescott College. Find out more at arizonaserve.org and at prescott.edu.